Amen. What a powerful word from Pastor Ariel that lines exactly up with what we're talking about tonight. If you are new tonight, if you're new tonight, this is your first time, just give me like an awkward semi-wave. Okay? No? No? All right. Awesome. You've been here. I'm glad you're here, though. I'm glad. We are in a series called God Understands. God Understands. I think it's easy for us as you know, young adults and as teenagers, and I think it's easy for us to think that people don't understand us. I remember being your age and, you know, the, the fashion back then and the music choice back then, my parents weren't super excited about. You know what I mean? Probably like your parents now. And uh, I always just think, you just don't understand me, Mom. And so I'm going to start a pop punk band and tell you how much you don't understand me. And so... I I was thinking about, you know, throughout my reading and, and, and studying the Bible, I just think it's so important that you as teenagers understand that God understands you. That like you, yourself, your personality, the things you like, the things that you're about, the things that make you you, they're not foreign to God. He's not surprised by them. He made you, so he knows you. And so last week we talked about guilt. God understands when we're overwhelmed with guilt and, and we got an opportunity to come to the altar and, and exchange guilt for grace. Because grace is a gift. But like every gift, in order to get it, you actually have to receive it and open it up and tear up all the wrapping paper like Christmas. You know what I mean? That's, that's grace. Today I want to talk to you about something that I think we all struggle with. And, and we kind of all deal with this throughout different seasons of our walk with Christ. And that's this, our sermon title tonight is God understands when we doubt. God understands when we doubt. Has anybody ever doubt, doubted here? We like doubt it. You know, like you ever hear somebody say they did something really cool. And then you just know, like it's a cat, like you, like you know they're just lying. Like, yeah, man, I dropped like a 30 bomb in Fortnite the other night. He'd be like, doubt it, right? <laughs> right? You know, like there's that one girl at school that like everybody's trying to get their number, but she's just playing hard to get. And then you like one of your boys going to be like, hey, man, I got her number. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you don't wear deodorant. I doubt it, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, we kind of all go into places and, and have experiences and moments where we just like, we just doubt it. You know, we all be doubting stuff, right? Is Bigfoot real? I don't know. Doubt it, right? Are there aliens? All right, if there are, please leave me alone, right? Of course you'd say yes. That's amazing. I highly doubt aliens are real. If they are real, men in black me into the service so that I can wear a suit and have the little pen clicky thing that erases everybody's memories, all right? I would use that all the time. But God understands when we doubt. Many times, right, doubt is 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 a result of legitimate questions, right? Legitimate questions, you know, that we have concerning our faith, right? We have questions. Tonight, let's look at how God responds to our doubt and how he understands them by asking questions like, you know, does God get angry with us when we doubt? Have many ever thought about that? I have. Or is it possible that God could use our doubt for good? Like, could my doubt lead to something good? Or how does God look at those who have doubts? How does God see me when I doubt? 
How does he view me when I doubt? I want to read you a story of a disciple named Thomas. Now, if you have heard about Thomas before, he's been dubbed a, a title that is not in the Bible, but people call him Doubting Thomas. And I kind of want to dissect this moment that has branded this disciple as doubting. Because we don't hear anything else in Scripture about Thomas doubting. We don't see throughout Scripture like there's, there's Thomas again just being one of those. No, like this is just this moment. But people and theologians and preachers for like as long as I can remember called him doubting Thomas. And maybe tonight as I kind of break down this story, maybe you, you cut Thomas a break and cut yourself a break. Let's read. This is in John Chapter 20, 24 through 28. If you have your Bible, say, oh, yeah. If it is a glow Bible, say, uh-huh. If you don't know what a glow Bible is, it's your phone because it glows. If you don't have either one, which is kind of weird because you should have a phone. You should have a Bible app on your phone. We have the Sky Bible. Ba-dow. Splat-ow. Here we go. Y'all ready? Here we go. Verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand onto his side, I will never believe. Verse 26, eight days later, say eight days. That's you know, about a week or so, right? A week and some days. His disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them this time, right? Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 27 says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. Lord, this is your word, not mine. And I pray tonight, God, that you would help me communicate it the way you wrote it and the way you intended it. God, it doesn't need extra spice and flavor from me because what you have is enough for us. And so I pray, God, that your word would be edifying to our souls, our minds, and our bodies tonight, God. And I pray that as we dive into what it looks like doubting, Lord, I pray that you would bring truth to us through your word that is our ultimate source of knowledge for you, God, in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Thomas questioned in this moment, whether Jesus was actually raised from the dead. So context about this story. Jesus dies. They just, they ran when Jesus was arrested during the trial. You don't really hear of the disciples sticking around. They went into hiding, right? Because if they're going to arrest and basically murder Jesus, these guys are like, yo, I'm affiliated with that dude. They might come and get me. So they go into hiding, right? Except for John, because John's a man who's the beloved one, right? So they go into hiding. And then Jesus is raised from the dead, right? Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene first as they go to the tomb. And so what we're kind of seeing here is, is the first representation of the gospel is from a woman. Period. I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to throw that out there. When we can't preach, well, the first preachers we see in the gospel from the Bible to him. Anyways, just going to throw that out there, guys. All right? Something to know. Sisterhood. Excelsiorhood. So 
So he sees, he, he appears to Mary, and it's amazing. He goes, hey, go tell the boys. Go tell the crew. All right. Mary, hair flowing in the wind, right, goes, guys, can't believe what just happened. What happened? I saw Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is alive. And they're like, what? Then, boom, Jesus appears to them. Where's Thomas? I thought about that. All of them are there. All right, but where's Thomas? Where, where is Thomas? Why isn't Thomas in the room? And the Bible doesn't really talk about it. But all they mention is that Thomas isn't there the first time. And so you ever saw something really cool happen or were told that something cool happened, but you were there, you missed it? Right? Hey, you should have been there Excel last week. It was amazing. I'm like, yeah, I missed it. I'm sorry. Right? Don't miss it. Be here. Right? But you ever had that? Like, you ever were watching a game? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's 10 seconds left on the clock. You know what I'm saying? Derrick Rose has the ball. And, there, and, and, and he shoots from the three-point over LeBron and everybody and their mamas. And then, like, you got up to use the bathroom and you hear everybody cheering. And then we get that famous picture of Derrick Rose being like, right? You know, you know that picture? Has anybody ever done, you missed something really awesome? Right? That's this moment. But instead of a game or an award show, this is, this is, this is their best friend. So to give Thomas kind of a break here, They just witnessed an unjust and an illegal trial of their best friend, their mentor, their savior, the Messiah, their rabbi. They just witnessed murder. That's, that's life-changing. That's scarring. I don't know where Thomas is, but I can almost think that, like, this is just a lot. We just lost the guy that said that he was going to save the world, and, and now he's gone. And I don't know what to do with myself anymore. I, I, I thought I was going to follow him forever. I thought he was going to overthrow Rome and, and, and build a new kingdom here. Like, I thought all this stuff was going to happen, and now he's gone. And so what do I do with my life now? You got the other disciples. Well, let's go fishing. Let's go back to what we did. So I don't know where Thomas is, but he's obviously not there. And I don't think it's because he just doesn't want to be around. Thomas is probably hurting. Thomas is probably in a lot of sorrow and a lot of pain. His heart is grieved. He's super confused. And for some reason, he just wasn't with his boys, which is a little odd. Because for the past three years, they were always together unless Jesus sent them out, and they came back. So it's weird that Thomas isn't here. I wonder if it's because Thomas just had a lot going on. I wonder if it's because Thomas was doubting, and he just needed to get away. So he's not here. But he, he, he gets there, and all of a sudden, after he's kind of coped with this pain, he's got to relive it, because now his friends are saying that they just saw the very man that died. Like, like to us, because we know Scripture, because we know the story already, like we know the future of the story, it's like watching a movie that you already know the ending. You kind of like, you're not wild by anything because you know it's going to happen. But I want you to just sit in Thomas's chair for a second and be in his shoes for a second, right? He just lost his, his Savior, 
his friend, who he saw heal thousands of people, who he just saw feed thousands of people. The Bible says Jesus was beaten until he was unrecognizable. That's, that's who Thomas is grieving right now. And you mean to tell me, if I'm Thomas, you mean to tell me that he was here and I missed it. Can you imagine how Thomas feels in this moment? Can you imagine? He's like, well, well, well you know what? His response, listen, I didn't see him. If, if he's not here, if I can't put my hand on the scars and on his side where his scars are, then you know what? I, he says, I will never, I will never believe. He's very emotional. This is an emotional man. So when we, when we hear a story about doubting Thomas, cut him a break. He just saw his best friend die. And now, now without any proof, his his other best friends, who are equally just upset, are saying they have seen him, but he's not there. This is a legitimate doubt. This is, this is a legitimate doubt in this moment. I didn't see him, so how do I truly know? I think we've all kind of been there when it comes to God. I don't see him, so how do I, how do I, truly, how do I truly know? It's easy for us to think and fall into the trap that because we have doubts, we don't have faith. I don't see Thomas as having little faith in this moment. I have him, I I see him having a genuine, legitimate doubt. But I believe that doubt is the evidence of growth. I I believe that the closer we get, the more questions we're going to have. We're going to have more questions. But I think some of us have gotten really, really comfortable with Jesus and comfortable with God because I shared this earlier that when, uh, with some of the leaders, uh, when Ariel and I started dating, when Pastor Ariel and I started dating, I had all these questions about her. A year or two down the, down the road, I stopped asking questions because I feel like I know her. And that's how we kind of get with God. We, we think we have him figured out. Or we just think he's so big that we can't figure him out, so there's really no point in doing it. But I see it as the closer I get to God, the more I'm going to have questions. The more I'm going to have questions. You see, a lot of people think faith is the absence of doubt. When the truth is, this point right here, faith is the means to overcome doubt. Faith is the means to overcome doubt. What is faith real quick, right? What is faith? Let's look at Hebrews 11.1. You see it on the screen. It says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We see two things in here, faith and we see hope. Faith and hope go together. And the same things that are the object of our hope are the object of our faith. It's an expectation that God will perform all that he has promised to us in Christ, even if we don't see it. God, if you say it, then I believe it. That's faith. Because God has never failed, and he will never fail. When you're on God's team, you want to know when you're on God's team, you just joined a dynasty, an undefeated dynasty. That's what you just joined. You joined the 90s Bulls team. I want to say you, you joined the Tom Brady Patriot era. You know what I'm saying? You joined a dynasty. You joined a team that has never lost because God has never lost. Let's take a look at verse 26 for a second. You won't see it on screen, so look at it on your, your glow Bible, your paperback Bible. Jesus shows up even with the doors locked. Y'all know I love Jesus, and I love awkward Jesus, 
This is one of those awkward Jesus moments that I'd be talking about. The doors are locked. Normal person would be like, what's popping is Jesus, they open up. Right, because he's already shown himself to them, right? Like, they, they already know that Jesus is alive except for Thomas. So I think Jesus is just cool, and I just think he's funny, and I just think he does stuff because he can, and it's funny. But he, like, just, I don't know how, but he just appears, right? But like, can you imagine if he's, like, standing next to Peter, who's already a hothead and already nervous and paranoid about everything? He'd be like, peace be with you. And Peter's like, oh, Jesus. Can you imagine if Peter steals off Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all, when y'all get scared, you automatically resort to violence. Right? Like some of y'all get scared, and immediately you want to throw hands. Relax. All right? Y'all some Peters in here. All right? But he said, so, I don't know, if he, like, morphs, like, you know, we got Fortnite happening right now. You know, you just morph and blob right into the wall, and you're like, hey, I'm Jesus. Peace be. But he says, peace be with you, because he knows these guys are, like, already on edge. Like, did we see a ghost before? Like, Jesus is just reaffirming that he's alive in this moment. He says, peace be with you, right? Peace be with you. Relax, guys. How did Jesus respond to, to Thomas's doubt in this moment, to his legitimate question, how did he respond? He wasn't upset. He was like, dude, Thomas, every time. He wasn't angry, right? He wasn't disappointed. He wasn't really anything other than he showed kindness and patience. Kindness and patience. How did Jesus view Thomas' doubt? He understood that Thomas had a legitimate question and that Thomas truly wanted to believe. I think when we have doubts, we think that, like, we're the worst Christian in the world when we have doubts. We're like, then am I really? Yes, you're saved. You're saved. If you have doubts right now and you are saved, I want to just reaffirm that you are still saved. Okay? All right. Your, your doubts don't just erase God's grace. Your doubts don't erase God's sovereignty. Your doubts don't erase God's mercy on you, his love. Your doubt does not erase what Jesus did on the cross. So stop acting like it. Out of love. You're, listen, you've got questions. That's okay. So Jesus right now in this moment is telling us here. He's like, hey, I'm not mad that you have a doubt. I'm not upset that you have a doubt. I'm not disappointed that you have a doubt. You know what? Like, I would, yeah, I get it. Yeah, you saw something horrible happen to me. And you're just asking for help to believe. So you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to help you believe. He understood that he wanted to truly believe. And so with love in my heart, some of you, the reality is you don't truly care to believe. Your doubts have become a dead end. You've got a dead end doubt, and it stopped right there. Whatever it is that happened, whatever question you had, whatever experience you had, at some point you wanted answers, but now you're at a place where you just, I don't really care anymore if he answers it or not. You've kind of become indifferent. You won't get your answers. You won't find your peace until you truly want to believe. You truly want to believe. So how do we tackle our doubts? How do we get to a place where we truly want to believe? How do we, how do we get a hold of ourselves in these doubt-filled, these doubtful moments? I'm going to give you four points today. Yeah, I'm feeling it. 
Yeah. One point, I'm going to give you four. All right. Y'all ready for this? How do we tackle? Four ways to tackle your doubts. Like a middle linebacker. Like Brian Urlacher. Understand this right here. Number one. And I want you to take notes. It doesn't do anything for me for you taking notes. Because I already have the notes. I wrote them. I want you to take notes because there were times in my life where I needed answers and somebody at some point spoke a sermon that I needed to hear and I wrote those notes down and I revisited them and they helped me. I was trying to write a different sermon tonight until I felt God speak this and Pastor Ariel had notes from how long ago was that? For forever ago in her Bible written on the side. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, that's so impactful. So write these notes down. Number one, four ways to tackle your, do- your, your doubts. Your dog. <laughs> tackle your dog. <laughs> Don't do that. Unless he's, like, really big. Then it's kind of cool. Understand this. God knows your questions, so be honest about them. God knows your questions. God knows your heart. Listen, like, the things in your life, the questions you have, God knows. God can read your mind. God, God knows your heart. He knows the, your deepest desires. Again, there's nothing in your life that God's like, huh, that's new. All right. So be honest with him. If you've got questions about abortion, ask God and seek the Bible. If you've got questions about uh, the death penalty, ask God. Read the Bible. Stuff, those are two right off my head that I myself have needed to ask God questions about. Because I'm like, man, I just don't know how I feel about those things. I don't really know what's true, what's not. There's so many things on on media and social media that I don't know who to believe anymore. And God's like, you should believe me. You should should probably believe me. Having questions does not make you a bad person. It doesn't. Can I just smile that at you? That having questions and doubts doesn't make you a bad person. Whatever lie that's telling you to feel bad for your doubts, I silence those in the name of Jesus. Because that only will trap you and it will always keep you in a place of the unknown. And God wants to reveal himself to you. God is not at arm's reach. He wants to be close to you. God is patient with you and he wants to help. Number two. Go to God in prayer and study his word. You're like, oh, here's that study thing again. Let me, let me show you James 1, verse 5 through 8. It says, if you don't know what you're doing, this is a message version, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. You ever, like, ask somebody for help? And, like, you just really need their help. But they got to do that whole thing like, oh, okay, like, I, yeah, fine. I'll help you because you can't help yourself. So I might as well just do it for you because you won't learn and you're just going to end up asking me later. Right? Like, you ever had somebody like that? That's not God. God's not going to do that to you. He's like, you need help? I got you. I want to help you. I want to be there for you. Look for the answers. So if you have questions about, well, I kind of, I'm kind of overwhelmed about some of the stuff that I don't know, right? Here's one way that's helped me 
it with this. It's look for the answers he's already given you. Focus on what you do understand. What God has or is teaching you in that moment rather than on what you don't understand. Right? So I think a lot of us get wrapped up in what we don't understand that we forget to dive into what we do. And in diving into what we understand about God in the areas that he's revealed himself to us, in learning, then God will just continue to show himself. And we'll begin to learn God. We'll begin to learn about him. And then I promise you sooner or later, that topic that you didn't understand because you know God better, you'll know. You'll understand. But it comes with understanding what you do understand and diving in to that. Number three, rely on biblical truths. Not feelings. I also have rely on, rely on biblical facts, not feelings. Trust the facts and what God says is true. Don't allow emotions to confuse the truth. Don't allow your faith to follow your feelings, but charge your feelings to follow your faith. What happens when our faith follows our feelings? Some of y'all are emotional people. I am an emotional person. Ask my wife. Uh, she is constantly on this emotional roller coaster called Pastor Izzy, and she's just holding on for dear life, okay? If my faith is based on my feelings, is it true? Is it foundational? No. I don't know what kind of, she won't know what kind of husband she's going to get that day if my feelings or if my faith follows my feelings. You can't trust your feelings, guys. I, that's why I hate when people like, just like, trust your gut. Or like, you know, like, follow your heart. Like, no, your heart is a deceitful organ in your body. All right? Your heart, your heart tells you to date that person. And then like two years later, you realize that person was toxic. Right? Right? But so-and-so, right, said follow your heart. I don't want to hear that. Right? Listen, following your heart sometimes gets you in a lot of trouble. Follow God's heart. You want to follow a heart? Fine. Follow God's heart. Put that on a, bu on a bumper sticker. Put that on a Christian Hallmark card. You want to follow someone's heart, follow God's heart because it is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same. So charge your, your feelings to follow your faith. When your faith is grounded in God's word, which is the truth, it's like building a house on rock. It's like building a house that like can't be moved. No matter the, the wind, no matter the waves, no matter the hurricane, no matter the flood, that house is here to stay. When you build your faith and your word on feelings, it's like building a house on sand, the scripture says. That when the flood and the waves comes in, it just washes it away. Build, build, build your house on a firm foundation. I do love that song. It's a good song. Number four, last one. Surround yourself with Christian people who can encourage you. This is very important. And in, and in Das Cap, we, we also talked about, like, you don't want to just abandon your friends, right? Because those non-Christian friends that are in your life, they're in your life for a reason. I believe God has called you to reach them. And you can't reach them if you're not around them. So I understand that. But I also want to help you understand that you need to be around other believers. You need to have Christian friends. Well, they're boring. No, you're boring. You're boring. Maybe you just like the wrong things to do. Maybe that. Maybe you're not doing the right thing and the right thing is boring to you. Well, if the right thing is boring, then I'm the most boring person in the world. What, what being around a community of believers does for me 
is sometimes it allows me to vent how I feel. And also, it allows them to call me out on my BS. Can I say BS online? I did. I did. I'm the pastor. I do what I want. Sorry, Pastor Joey. Right? It allows, it allows my friends to call me out on my, on my crap. Like, they're like, hey, man, I, I'm going to let you vent. So I vent. And they're like, that's wrong, dude. That's awful. Why? Don't think that. And then, and then you know what I do? I'm like, well, why is that wrong? And then they, and then they give me godly counsel. Because they're walking in the same direction I'm going. And they're following the same God that I'm following. They love, him the, they love the same God that I love. And so they're going to give me godly counsel. And they're going to tell me, don't follow your heart, bro. She's crazy. And I'm going to say, you know what? You're right. And I'm going to dodge a bullet. But that's not going to happen if you're not around God the counsel. These Christian friends, they're going to encourage you. They're going to be by your side. A lot of my leaders, you know, they, they've got close bonds with each other because uh, they've surrounded each other with encouragement. Who wants to be around somebody that's not encouraging? All right, can you imagine? You're like, you're like, hey, man, you're like my best friend. And the guy's like, yeah, man, you suck. <laughs> but for real, though, like, you're awful. And then you're like, yeah, I still appreciate you. No, no one wants to be around that guy. All right. You want to know the person I want to be around? Somebody that looks me in the face and says, you know what, Izzy, you've got a calling on your life. You're anointed. God has, God has ordained you and called you for this moment. You're not your past. You're not your mistakes. Like, they speak that life over me. That's, that's what's going to be helpful in those doubtful moments. And you know what? You know what you can do? You can be honest and be real and say, you know what? Hey, so-and-so, I'm, I'm struggling with this with this question, this doubt that I have about God or about Scripture, and I just need somebody to help me pray about that. Maybe you have the answer, but if you don't have the answer, can you go on this journey with me? You know, life is better in twos. Oh, no, I'm married. Now we got three. Who was three months today? Shout out to Princess Dotbot. Surround yourself with Christian people who can encourage you. Talk to them. Ask them questions and learn from what God has shown them. You know what I love about hanging out with some of the older people in my life? I get to learn from their mistakes before I make them. It's amazing. It's the best thing ever. I'm like, you had to go through all that, and I'm reaping the benefits of it, right? Like, but the same for you guys. There is stuff that if I can encourage you in, there are things that I've done in my life that if I could just tell you not to do it and here's why and here are the consequences if you do and save you from that, that's a win. That's a win. So surrounding yourself with people that are on another level than you is, is a very smart idea. Because that whole pride thing, this is in my notes, but it's pride that says, like, I only want to be around people that I'm smarter than or that are on the same level as me. No, I'm trying to be around people that are better than me that know more about God than me, that know more about Scripture than me, because then I can learn. I can learn from them. I want to surround myself with believers who can encourage me. You want to know why I believe in that fourth point is this. Uh, it's why we have XL Plus groups. XL Plus groups are not just another night to get you away from your parents and in the church building. Like, I don't take your money. Like, you come. Why? Well, uh, hopefully because it's fun. <laughs> we have it because I, wanna, I want you to build relationship with students and I want you to build relationships with each other so that you can have and be surrounded by people that believe the same as you. 
when it comes to God and when it comes to the Bible. I'm trying to create a space for you to be encouraged. That's what XL Plus is about. That's what JV is about on Sunday mornings. Listen, if you guys have not just hung out with the JV people on Sunday mornings, they are so much fun. They say the most wildest things. And I'm like, yeah, don't, don't say that ever again, right? No. JV is awesome. Why do we have XO Plus? Why do we have JVs? To create a community of believers that can surround you to encourage you. That's why we have Anchor. That's why we have Compass Kids and Awana. That's why we have Excel. We want to surround you with people who love you, who want to help. If I could just have Pastor Jason on the keys for this. The way Jesus approached Thomas is the way he's approaching you today. Jesus has the answers. But do you truly want to know? Thomas's doubt was that of which we deal with today. This genuine question that we all deal with. Even those of us who have been saved for years, have been following Christ for years. Every once in a while, some of us ask the same question that Thomas asked. Is, is he really alive? Is he alive? Is he back? Does he care? Does he care to see me if he's really back? It's the same question that Thomas asked. I've asked time and time again, is Jesus really alive? And if he's really alive, does he really care? And if he really cares, then prove it. Prove it to me. Because you're asking me to give my life. And I want to make sure that if I'm giving my life to something, it's real. I've said that prayer. Not blocks from here at another church called Victory or Liberty Christian Center. Just down the street on Addison. I had a moment where I said, God, if you're real, then prove it to me. Show me that you love me. And, and this is the same question that Thomas is dealing with. Jesus, if you're alive, prove it to me. I want to show you proof tonight. Can I have all my leaders just line up like we normally do? So all my leaders, Pastor Ariel, just come on up. I can tell you miracle after miracle that God has done in my life. But sometimes because I'm Pastor Izzy, it kind of goes over your head because, of course, I'm the pastor. It's just kind of what I'm supposed to say, right? It's my job, apparently. I'm telling you that Jesus made himself real to me. Whether it was saving my life from a drive-by shooting or what else. I can name story after story where God showed that he loved me by saving me even when I didn't believe in him. But don't just take my word for it. You want proof? Look at here. Proof. 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 Proof that Jesus is real. That God is real. And he really loves you. Don't just take my word for it. Take their word for it. This is all the proof that I could offer you. And if you ask every single leader up here, 
how God has been real to them, how Jesus has answered the question, yes, I'm real, they will tell you story after story of God's faithfulness, of God's security, of God's perseverance for them and endurance for them, of God's love and mercy on them and grace. They will tell you story after story that had it not been for Jesus, where would they be? In jail, in the grave, addicted, lost, in a sexual sin that has spiraled them into a world that they never belonged in. Time and time again, I've heard some of these stories, and I'm amazed at how gracious God has been. Jesus didn't have to show up just for Thomas, but he did. Notice, he came into the room and directly went to Thomas. He said, this is the person I'm here for. I'm not mad. I'm not ashamed. I'm not disappointed. I'm here to show you that I'm real, that I love you. Take a look, Thomas. Look at the evidence. I thought it was, it was unique that Jesus showed him his scars. Now, Jesus isn't here to show you his scars, but these leaders are here to show you theirs. The scars that they've carried throughout their life from the war-torn stories that they have of battling against sin, and they've got scars to prove that God is alive and that he really does love you. It's okay that you're doubting. It doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make you wrong. It makes you human. It makes you and I like Thomas. And you know what God is in the business of doing? He's in the business of showing up and proving himself to you. And so I wasn't going to do this, but I just feel necessary. If you could just bow your heads for just a second. I want to do the first call, and that's this. You're in here, and you've asked the question, is Jesus alive? And you're asking that question because you don't have a relationship with him. You're not sure that Jesus is real. And so you keep asking, you keep reoccurring. You have this reoccurring question, is Jesus real? And if he is real, I'd be willing to follow him. I just need proof. I've shown you tonight that he's real. And these people wouldn't lie to you. So if you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who lived a perfect life and died on the cross and was resurrected from the grave three days later. If you've never made a commitment, a personal commitment to have a relationship with Jesus and you would like to, can I just, can I just encourage you to raise your hand, put your doubts to the side for a second. And just raise your hand. If that's you, you said, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity. One, Jesus loves you, everything about you. Two, there's nothing that Jesus that you can do that could separate you from his love. Three, last call, if that's you, and you want to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Give it a second. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe you've allowed these doubts consume you, overwhelm you, and now you're living a life that was contrary to what you originally started out as. Maybe you were a strong believer at one point. You and Jesus were cool. And now it's been a while since you and him talked. God is calling you into a relationship with him again. If that's you, raise your hand. I see that hand. Once you put that hand up, you can put it right back down. Anybody else, you need to rekindle that relationship 
with God. Awesome. Awesome. I want everybody to look up at me. And if we can all just stand. I'm going to go up here because I'm short. (laughs) Period. I'm short. If you have doubts, like I said, it's okay. These guys, these leaders, myself included, we want to talk to you about those things. And I encourage you, if you don't come to XL Plus on Fridays, I know for this month we're taking a little break uh, because we get the awesome opportunity to have a women's Bible study as well as a men's Bible study. By the way, that's a great opportunity to come and get your questions answered. So if you've got questions and you truly want the answer, we've got resources for you. We've got We've got things for you to help you on this journey to where you don't have to do it alone and live life with a bunch of questions. So Friday, we've got a women's Bible study. And all these wonderful warrior women are up here. They want to just do life with you and just answer any questions that you can. I want to personally invite you to come get your questions answered. Fellas, same thing. We had a great time in the loft. So tomorrow... What we're doing is we're going up to the loft and we're going to read the Bible and we're going to get our questions answered. Amen? So when XL Plus kicks back up, I want to personally invite you to come and be surrounded by believers. The family night that's coming up, November 10th, is a way that we can show you and your parents especially and specifically that we care for you and we care about them. And so the family night is not just to feed you dinner, although it's going to be fire. Going to have a bunch of Thanksgiving foods and sides and desserts and all the awesome stuff. But it's a way that your parents could get their questions answered through community, momentum. I can name all these things. The reason why we want you guys to be around so much is because we love you. And we just want to be your friend. And we just want to be around you. Because God loves you. Because God wants to be your friend. Because God wants to be around you. Let me pray for you.